one thing, then a bigger thing mm-hmm. with the thing inside it. And it does something pretty much. Hello and welcome to WNC Original Music, episode 133, the Craig Jones episode. Craig Jones is not on this episode. On this episode is Blake Hornsby. Blake's a psychedelic folk musician, born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and currently based out of Boone, North Carolina. Blake's music is influenced by psychedelia, folk, eastern music, American primitism, avant-garde, and sound healing. I'll have links to all of Blake's music in the show notes, but you can find him right now at blakehornsby.bandcamp.com. We did kind of an interesting thing here. We're going to have two episodes, and in each episode, Blake's going to talk about one of his albums or selections from one of his albums. On this episode, we talk about his album, Teetering on the Edge of the Void. Here is Blake Hornsby.
So the intro on this album is similar to the intro on a couple of my previous albums that was also called Intro. Um, my previous albums being Solipsism and the Nectar of the Gods, as well as Legend of the Unconscious Enigma, were ones that I did <clears throat> unprofessionally in my younger days through not great recording equipment. Um, but this new one, or the the newest, the newest one's Dogwood Dance, but the one prior to that that we're talking about now, Teetering on the Edge of the Void, that one uh, is the third in the conceptual trilogy of the previous albums that I mentioned. That makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so the intro is kind of similar to those, but a little bit, a little bit different. Um, I kept the intro kind of similar just to round it all out. There's a few things throughout the album that sort of tie it to both of the previous albums for or both of the previous of the concept, I should say. Um, a couple of things are laid out in the intro. Um, such as samples from the previous two albums. So there's sample of very short snippets of a couple songs from Solicism and the Nectar of the Gods and Legend of the Unconscious Enigma. So there's little snippets in there that have kind of like a little flashback type effect to help tie it together. There's also other samples I use in there that I recorded um, from my phone whenever I visited India earlier that same year. Uh, from I believe they're in Rishikesh, which is a holy city in India. So it's like sacred chants and songs um, through, uh, you know, their sacred practices and whatnot. Uh, also on the intro, there is an interesting instrument. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's called a Saz Kura, S-A-Z-C-U-R-A. And that's a Turkish folk instrument. I don't know how to play it too well, but uh, I, I got it uh, shipped to me from Istanbul and this guy who made it on Etsy. And I found out about it because I was just uh, searching YouTube and I found a cool video of this old Turkish folk guy singing in his language and playing it. And I really, really liked it. So I kind of impulse bought one like 30 minutes later for <laughs> pre for pretty cheap. And I played around with it and I've only played it live like twice. It's just kind of weird to weird to mic it live with all the other stuff that I'm doing. So I don't know how much more I will play it live. Mm -hmm. Haven't really decided, but it adds an interesting element to it. That's what kind of the higher pitch noise is. Oh, okay. That doesn't sound quite like a guitar, but it's definitely a stringed instrument. Mm -hmm. How many instruments uh, are you playing on this album? What counts as an instrument? Does one <laughs> bell count as an instrument or yeah, sure. two bells count as two instruments? Yeah, yeah. Two different bells, yeah. Okay, well let me let me pull well, like, my record all the, for a second. All the plates on the xylophone wouldn't count as different instruments, but <laughs> right, yeah. of course. I'm not gonna count every string. Right, right. <laughs> uh let me pull out my record. Uh, I'm gonna look at the personnel. You want me to just list them what I got here? Sure, yeah, that'd be good. Unless it's yeah. 150. <laughs> no, yeah. it, it's getting close there, though. Oh, okay. Uh, acoustic guitar, a bowed acoustic guitar where I just use a violin bow, bow. lead vocals, backup vocals, mandolin, bass, uh, Native American style flutes, uh, the Saz Cura that I mentioned, ocarina, a little bit of djembe, 
uh, singing bowl. I think two or three bells, uh, some chimes, a thunder tube, a rain stick, random like shakers, kazoo, flexitone, tambourine, and previous album samples. I also have field recorded India samples on here and electric electronic tambora, which is not really something that I play. I just plug it in and it makes makes noise. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the drone that you hear on a lot of the tracks. Quite a bit. Yeah. 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 You hear it on the first track and you hear it on the entire second side of the record, the the drone. Electronic tambora. So I have an app on my phone and a Bluetooth connect on my amplifier. So I just run it through there. But there's also another one that I have that I that's an actual physical version that you plug into the wall. But a tambora is usually four strings, sometimes five or six string uh, drone instrument that you don't fret at all. You just pluck the strings mm-hmm. and they use it in ev- anybody who's heard anything Indian influence has heard it. Oh, you know, yeah. it back it backs up all the sitar. It sounds like a sitar. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it's not. It's what you it's what you usually hear before the main instrument starts in the Indian music. It's just the slow yeah. I recognize that. Yeah, and you've you've probably heard it in plenty of Beatles songs too. Yeah, yeah. That's my even introduction to Indian music is through the Beatles. Like probably same. most most people, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, there's actually a tambora. Um, if you listen closely to a certain part in Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, I know that's not their most uh, forward Indian song, but mm-hmm. there is a tambora in it. Hmm. The actual instrument's like over a thousand dollars. Yeah.
So the first line of peace of mind is touch a tree, fall into a dream. And then at the end, I reverse it just for fun. Touch a dream, fall into a tree. Whenever it comes back around second part, that line came to me whenever I was hiking to a really beautiful lake in Northern New Mexico, just North of Taos. It came to me about as simple as I can say I touched a dream and then I remembered a or touch a tree my bad and remembered a dream I had from the previous night I don't remember what the dream was but the moment I touched the tree the dream came into my head and when I released my finger like a second later I forgot the dream and I thought that was odd and interesting so mm -hmm. that line popped in my head and I held on to it for a year and a half before I recorded it I held on to it for almost a year before I even really wrote a melody with it. It just stayed in my head. So whenever I went to uh, India by myself, April of 2019, and there I bought a really cheap guitar in, in Delhi to carry around with me. And that's where I wrote some of this album. That's where I wrote a lot of peace of mind, actually. And I sort of forced myself to figure out a melody to it. it was the first time I actually sat down with a guitar and tried to put melody to that specific lyric, even though I'd had the lyric in my head in a while. And I played with a couple different tunings and then just followed what my voice did and then played around and it eventually evolved. And I wrote a few other lyrics whenever I was traveling throughout there and into the Himalayas. I wrote most of it in India and then there's a certain part it's my favorite section of the song it's what it's in part two right before it comes back to the main uh theme from the beginning <clears throat> it's the part where percussion kicks in and sitar and didgeridoo kick in it's my favorite section i can't remember if i wrote any of that in india or if it came back um doesn't really doesn't really matter but that section's also based off of two or three dreams that I had. One of them alludes to a dream that I was in India. Is there a, um, is there like a phrase that connects the kind of answer, like, like the, the kind of music that you, that you play that you're interested in? Um, like it seems restrictive to say it's Indian music. Um, 
but I don't I don't know another another phrase for it. You know, like because you're talking about sitar, but then you're throwing in the didgeridoo. They seem like maybe similar instruments, but you know, one's from Australia, one's from India. Um, is there just kind of a global term for that kind of music? Like um, I don't know, uh, um, like uh, original native music or something like that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm afraid to even throw out the wrong the wrong thing. Yeah. It's definitely not Indian music. Um, It's Indian influence music. I guess some people could say it's world music, but world music has a, has a different connotation. I feel like world music nowadays is either one of two things from what I've observed. One being a term that we use for music. That's not created in the United States or Canada or, (laughs) or main parts of Europe. You know, it's more dealing with Eastern Europe and, you know, Asia, Africa, South America, Australia. So that's one term people have for world music. Another term I feel like is this movement that started in the 80s where it was like kind of mixing some other instruments together into a fusion sort of way. And a lot of it's like kind of kind of cheesy. Yes, I noticed that uh, also in the 80s and 90s, like... um it was sort of a little bit of an alternative movement. And it was kind of like people, I always thought it as people trying to find the next reggae music. Like they were hmm, going to find, they would find a, a country um, or area that had a kind of music that was going to blow up or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they took, you know, Indian music could kind of have, you know, in the sixties became popular, but then it was kind of like, let's, uh, let's give it a backbeat and, call it world music and mm-hmm. see if we can, you know, turn that into to something for college radio. Yeah. So there's that section I was talking about that I really like um, that references a couple of dreams and it goes back to the main theme sort of ties it, ties it all back together. Whenever I was writing the album, after I fleshed out some of the songs, I started to hear different instruments in my head because prior I'd only played the instruments on the album. You know, I, performed all of them, even if I didn't perform them well, admittedly. So I was just hearing other instruments that I couldn't, couldn't even touch in my head. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I gotta have some other people play this. And it turns out I knew a lot of people who played the instruments. A a friend of mine, Sam Fanthorpe, um, he's got his really awesome, uh, he has a really awesome solo uh, country career. Uh, he plays violin and cello on the album. I had no idea because I've only ever heard him play guitar and sing Johnny Cash and stuff, you know. (laughs) Turns out he's classically trained in multiple instruments. So we became real good friends through that process. And then I messaged some other friends that played some other instruments and ended up working well. The guy who played trumpet was my brother's friend's younger brother. I got in contact with him because we recorded it in Nashville and um, he lives in Nashville, right outside Nashville. So I linked up with him and he nailed all the parts very quick. I sent him a demo recording of it and he came and I'd never met him before. He came into the studio with all the notes written out of what he needs to play. And he was in and out there in and out of there in like an hour. It was really good. I had really talented musicians working on that album. I was very lucky, for sure. Uh, 
and peace peace of mind um i really like the orchestrative parts i was trying to get it to sound uh, you know a little bit more british so to speak hmm. in terms of like uh george martin instrument uh george martin instrumentation and orchestration stuff like that and i think it turned out really well i played bass on that song the only song that has bass on the album and i think it turned out really well there's actually oddly enough there's a lot of influence by leonard cohen and sean phillips on this whole album particularly the orchestrated sections Mm -hmm. I was listening to Leonard Cohen's album, New Skin for the Old Ceremony, a lot. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked the orchestrated sections on there that helped heighten heighten the vibe and the energy. And that was one of my most listened to albums that year. So I could definitely see that peeking, peeking through a lot. Because sometimes I don't see my influences until after I compose something.
waiting in the forefront of a tangled mind spiraling its thoughts into oblivion. That is correct. Yes. Yes. That's a fun one. That's one of my favorite ones to play. It's an instrumental with just just me on guitar on it. <clears throat> I ended up uh, re-recording it for Dogwood Dance, my most recent one. And that one I also wrote mostly in India, and I fleshed it out whenever I got back over here. It was a lot of fun to write. That's about all I have to say about that. I guess whenever it comes to the, to the title, mm-hmm. there's this one phrase that continues throughout the whole thing and that phrase is symbolic of sort of coming back to peace while the rest of it is kind of symbolizes the intrusive thoughts that you have and then at the end it slightly changes key to uh well it does change key it changes to a major key to show sort of symbolize coming out of being stuck in your thoughts you talked a little bit about the the people that you play music with. Um, is there and I and I you know I know you as a performer of this sort of music, but um, is there a large community of people who go out and perform uh, this type of Indian influenced music or South Southeast Asia influenced music um, where you live or in in other areas in Western North Carolina? Not to my knowledge. Okay, <laughs> like there's no there's no um, venue that sort of specializes in this or anything like that not really uh if you if you find anybody let me know okay all right well i mean it <laughs> I'd might like be to a, link up with them yeah it might be a, a opportunity for someone to uh to start something like, like i could see where you know there's a, there's a lot of um there are of course places that have punk rock and country and honky tonk and you know uh um singer singer songwriter and that sort of thing but i mean you know, especially in Asheville, I think there could be a, a like a little coffee shop or tea room or something like that. That you know, maybe they have all different kinds of music, but also that's where people who play, you know, these sort of uh, this sort of influence music go to, and you know, that's where you're going to hear this sort of thing. Maybe yeah. uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for if if I see a if I meet a coffee shop owner who's looking for kind of a hook, you know. Cool. I'll, I'll bring <laughs> it up to him. I'd love to play Dober Tea in Asheville. They they rarely have music to my knowledge, oh, but yeah. I think that'd be a cool spot for it. Yeah, this particular music's in an interesting area where it's venues who would like world music. Mm-hmm. This probably still isn't exactly what they want because it's not very traditional. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, so it's kind of stuck in between a few things because. Mm-hmm. I feel like it could fit well with a venue that likes noise and experimental music, but it might not be enough of that. Right. And then it could fit in a venue that likes folk music, but it might be too out there for that. Yeah. So luckily lots of venues are very open uh, yeah. and, and do tend to like it. Hey guys, this is Kendra. And this is Zach. From the Brown, Brown Mountain, Mountain Lightning, Lightning Bugs. And this is Waves from our new album, Folk-ish, which you can find online you can stream it you can download it or you can buy physical copies from our website which is brownmountainlightningbugs.com we also have some really cool t-shirts and some stickers so head on over there you can also find us on all of the social medias and we'd love for you to come join us
first three parts are on my first album solipsism and the nectar of the gods this is another example of coming around to tie all the albums together um, this album started or this song was one of the first ones that i wrote for this album before i knew i was going to put it on an album i was tired of singing the first reflection of the song mm-hmm. and so i just put the same lyrics to a different tuning with a completely different vibe and it turned out i I ended up liking it so i recorded it more from blake hornsby in just a few moments want to remind you you can find his music at blakehornsby.bandcamp.com and also check the show notes for more links to his uh, past and upcoming music want to remind you also to follow the podcast wnc original music wherever you get your podcast, or you can go to wncoriginalmusic.com and there will be links there to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey y'all, this is Will Easter. Y'all are listening to WNC Original Music. Thanks for listening. So yeah, we recorded Teetering on the Edge of the Void in late 2019 in Nashville, Tennessee. We recorded it, uh, like I mentioned before, to, to tape, which was a lot of fun. And actually, the beginning of the album, the intro, I meant to say this earlier, the very first split second is the sound of the tape starting. Jonathan drove from Chapel Hill to Nashville. Sam had to rent a car and drive from Boone to Nashville. Jerry and Joe drove up from uh, where they live, close to Chattanooga. And I drove uh, from Boone and then went home to visit family for Christmas. And we recorded it over the course of three days. The first day was a half day that I did by myself. I laid down the vocals and the guitar for the entire album. Not the backup vocals, just the main skeleton of it all. Didn't feel super great about it. In fact, certain parts of it I thought I was going to have to take out, and then later I didn't even notice. Uh, And then over the course of the next two days, which were full like eight-hour days, that's when we had the other musicians come in. So we worked a lot with uh, Sam doing his parts on violin and cello, and then Jonathan doing his parts on uh, doombeck, which is a Middle Eastern drum instrument, and tablas, which are the two main things he play he plays. Um, so we worked on that for pretty much the whole day. I had lunch break, came back and did the rest of it. I had a good friend of mine. Uh, a close friend of mine I've had for a while, uh, drive from Atlanta. We went to school together in Chattanooga and he uh, laid down background vocals for peace of mind. He, he hit, he hit notes that I can't hit. I wanted to, uh, during the orchestration part, you hear like a, I, I can't, I can't do it that great, but he can do it really great. And I almost was thinking about throwing the whole song away because I couldn't hit those notes, even though it's really, not i don't know (laughs) i don't know what what i was thinking i was just stressed out before i was going to the studio but i got him to hit him and we also sung some harmonies together and 
Yeah, I think that's what we did on the third day. Yeah, third day also did the didgeridar, didgeridar, the didgeridoo and the sitar. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I just created a new instrument, the didgeridar. So there are some other cool things that I that I learned in the studio just because I'd never been in a professional studio before. Mm-hmm. Such as there's no such thing as perfect. Perfect is the best thing you can get, you know, right. or else you're gonna waste a bunch of money. Yeah, yeah. And I re- realized that the hard way because I'm I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and I was just eventually like, all right, screw it, whatever. This is the best we can do next. Yeah. And then I also learned that there's lots of, as Bob Ross would say, happy accidents. You know. Sure. Oh yeah. Like yeah. Th- there was something that Joe did on the sitar uh, in El Dorado where he can't do it again. I asked him to do it again. He's like, I don't know how I did that, but it sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds so good. It makes it very valuable that it can't be recreated. Yeah, for sure.
Yeah, the title came to me because it was originally going to be a reworked version of another song on Slipsism and the Nectar of the Gods. Uh, one that I believe came after Reflection of the Sun originally. So it was going to be a variation on a song called Love is the Answer. And that's how I got the title. But I ended up not doing that. But that one, that one's cool. It's a, it's all instrumental. Uh, it's uh, Sam drones the violin the whole time. Doesn't do anything complex. Just adds drone to it with the uh, electronic tambora. And then Jonathan Sale, um, he's he's in that band Unaka Prong, based out of Chapel Hill. And he's also in Kong Must Dead, and he's been in a bunch of other bands in Western North Carolina. But yeah, Jonathan Sale, he plays bass in Unaka Prong. Uh, but he plays tablas and doombeck and a little bit of other percussion on this particular record. Uh, he hadn't picked up the tablas in six months or something, and he uh, comes in the studio and does the song in one take. <laughs> and I did the song in one take, so we what recorded it separately. Can you kind of describe what tablas are? Yeah, I mean, I know, uh, but somebody else might yeah. not. Yeah, tablas are one of my favorite instruments in the world. Um, they're really cool. They, It's a set of two, a bass and a higher pitch one. Forgive me, whoever's listening for the terminology. I'm <laughs> not a percussionist, but uh, it's a It's one thing, drum. then a bigger thing with mm-hmm. the thing inside it, and it does something. Pretty much. Yeah, one thing with a bigger thing, one one deeper sound, one higher pitch sound, and they make cool noises. Yeah. That yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's used in Northern Indian music as well. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of non-Indian influence on this album too, but anybody who listens can tell that there's quite a bit and the tablas add a lot to it. Tablas are the most popular drum in Northern Indian music, popular, most popular form of percussion. And they're very neat. They have their own language. They're kind of, uh, I mean, I think someone looking at them would, would first thing they would think of would maybe be bongos. Yep. But they're, uh, are they not, they're not attached though, right? They're never attached. Is that right? I might be thinking of something else. What do you mean? Like a a pair of bongos always is connected with a little piece of wood. Oh, right. Yeah. No, they're two separate drums. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to show off that I really knew what they were. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Actually, I'm looking it up on my phone right here. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, but they actually have their own language, which is interesting with the way that you hit both of them at the same time or the way you hit one a certain way. And they, they learn it like that. Like, there's dens and da's and ta's and tens. So each strike of it has its own sort of syllable like that. Oh yeah. That's so, a little bit like uh like djembe is like that, right? A little bit like the way you hit it. I'm not sure. I think uh I might be wrong, but I think djembe, yeah, like you sometimes you hit it with the flat of your uh fingers, sometimes with the flat of your palm, sometimes with the oh, heel of your hand. Yeah, yeah. Sort of it's like that, but a lot more complex because yeah. there's actual words for each time you hit it. Uh-huh. And some of the words refer to only 
one of the drums. Some of them refers to hitting both of the drums at the same time in a certain way. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can look it up and you can look up somebody uh, doing a basic tabla course mm-hmm. or demonstrating the tabla and they will sing with the notes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Or they're not notes, whatever. I'm right. not percussionist. The notation. <laughs> yeah. The strikes. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and he uh, Jonathan knows a little bit of that. You know, he's um, he took a class at App State called Tabla Ensemble for a semester, and that's where he that's where he learned. Oh. And he picked it up really well. He was really good, very very convincing. He told me he doesn't know actually he doesn't actually know how to play tablas. He said that he's really good at pretending that he plays tablas. Right. Yeah, and I feel like that with Indian music is I'm really good at pretending to play raga. Mm. <laughs> raga. So, Raga would be yeah. the kind of music, right? Um, I wouldn't say that no. it's oh, influenced by Raga. Uh, Raga is very, very specific. Oh, is it? Hmm. I'm I'm good at faking Raga okay. to the Western ear, but I'm not. Don't know how to play Raga really. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm very disappointed. I thought I, I know. I'm the, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Right. <laughs> I'll edit the disappointment out. Um. There was a, something called Raga Rock back in the 60s, which was a subcategory when they right. had electric sitars, which right. were just guitars that sounded like sitars, and they used it in like some birds music and stuff, and they called it Raga Rock.
Everything is love, as 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 everything is love. That's my favorite track on the album. I wrote that over the course of a few months in mid-2019. I recorded this album in, uh, right before Christmas that year. And this, yeah, I'd say this is my favorite song. I just, lyric lyrics came to me and I wrote more and more and more lyrics. There were originally a lot more lyrics and put, put a melody to it. Kind of like how I did with peace of mind and how I do a lot of times I'll come up with lyrics and then find where they are on the guitar um, in terms of my vocal range um, and then that one goes into this space noise freak out section that's a lot of fun uh, that I've done live with other songs in the past and things similar 
I kind of wanted to bring it back. It's 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 kind of a short section compared to how we do it live because it it goes on a little bit longer. What's making the um, what's making the sound? It sounds to me like if you take a piece of tin and shake it, mm-hmm. it's kind of yeah. a loud sound. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I think so. It's the flexitone. So yeah. I, it's it's this instrument. This percussion instrument. Jonathan actually turned me on to it a while ago when I bought one. Um, it's handheld, and you put your thumb on this metal part, and there are uh, two little mallets attached. And whenever you shake it, the mallets hit against one another. But whenever you bend it down with your thumb, mm-hmm. it changes the pitch, so you can shake it and while bending it down, and it oh, cool. makes some crazy noises. Yeah, yeah there's a, a bunch, bunch of little fun things on there. Uh, we recorded the album on analog tape. And uh, it was only 16 track tape uh-huh. and I was going to get Jonathan to come in and, you know, play on the actual strings in the piano, kind of like how the beach boys did in pet sounds. Yeah. But then the engineer said that all 16 tracks were taken. So <laughs> guess, guess, guess I did a good job with overdubbing yeah. a bunch of crazy instruments that also, I think has some, well, it's supposed to have some of the samples from, from india like i did in the first track but i think mm-hmm. it got covered up in the mix and master somehow yeah it's a fun section it's just me playing stuff on that section and uh, then it kicks up in part two yeah and then that's when the tablas come in the sitar and the didgeridoo <laughs> and then me on guitar and vocals and then sam on violin continues and then it sort of breaks down and gets slower and then gets faster and then gets slower. And then at the end, it speeds up, speeds up and certain parts of the trumpet come in and do the trumpets thing to accentuate certain things. Hmm. It was fun. Whenever I went into the studio, I came in with uh, printed out multiple copies of a printed out uh, document that I uh, typed up that has all the lyrics but in between the lyrics it talks about where i want certain things to come in you know so it would say space section of el dorado and then after that something along the lines it would point an arrow and say tablas sitar sitar follows this melody Hmm. and then it would go to the next part where it says um, love in disguise and then i put on there i want trumpet on this part and then took it away. So I had like a nine page document that I brought in the studio with me yeah. um, of just what I had in my head to yeah. help other people know what they're, know what they're doing because me and Sam practiced a lot, but the rest of us didn't really practice. I practiced with Jerry on didgeridoo and Joe on sitar like once or twice before, and then just helped them in the studio. Uh, didgeridoo is pretty easy because I could just, he knows how to circular breathe. So I just say, Hey, I want didgeridoo on this part. And then he does it. I play with them. Uh, whenever I go back home to Chattanooga, they live right outside Chattanooga. They're, uh, a bit older than me, like in their sixties, early seventies. Oh, okay. Um, Joe, the sitar player is in his early seventies and he, uh, moved from the U S to India to go to high school because his father got a job over there. So that's where he learned to play sitar and then moved back after, after high school. Oh yeah. I was just going to talk about Jerry and Joe because I talked about the other folks. Um, yeah, they're, or was it? They're a bit older than me. Yeah. I met them 
I met Jerry when I was in high school at a drum circle. He brought his didgeridoo there. And then I stayed in contact with him through Facebook and ended up playing, playing music together. And they had their own thing uh, called organized chaos, Mm -hmm. which was really cool. It's similar to what I do to a certain extent. And they've actually had me play guitar with them before and percussion. And that's sitar, didgeridoo, guitar, you know, um, Bay, Doombeck, you know, similar instrumentation, mm-hmm. but it's uh, largely instrumental, except sometimes Jerry will tell a story over top of the music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they've, uh, they've done stuff for like a solstice, a winter solstice gathering at a church in Chattanooga and there were belly dancers and stuff. That was pretty cool for the whole space section. Um, there was this cool thing we did because we spent a whole other day uh, mixing it. Just me. I had to drive back down to Nashville to mix it or to be in the mixing process. I did not mix it by any means. It was the engineer who uh, recorded the album who did it. And that was fun. That was a full eight hour long day. Just telling him, Hey, I want this instrument to flow from the left speaker to the right speaker. This mm-hmm. one to flow to the right speaker to the left speaker. I want this one to be right here. This one to be right here. Could you put a little bit of distortion on the kazoo? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for them, I've been his idea. I don't know, but that was a lot of fun. And during that process is whenever we, uh, you know, added extra into El Dorado because, you know, we could only add so much from the 16 tracks so what we did is we took we copied some sections of previous in that song so when el dorado becomes the space part Mm -hmm. we sample the first part of el dorado right before that space part and reverse it and put it in the space part oh yeah 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 um and then i think we did regular ones without having it reversed that was cool and then also in El Dorado and a little bit in Reflection of the Sun, as well as a section in Peace of Mind, we used uh, a Leslie speaker for me to sing through, which is what, what the Beatles sort of pioneered with uh, Tomorrow Never Knows and I think Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and Blue Jay Way. Um, but it's a, it's a, a Leslie speaker is a brand of speaker and a brand of organ that spins. So whenever you play the organ, you got, you can uh, adjust the speed of the spinning of this particular speaker. And it, it changes the sound of the organ, but the Beatles decided to run their guitars through it and yeah. their vocals through it and stuff because they were super innovative and awesome. And can you tell that I like the Beatles? Yeah. yeah. I love the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> for like um, eight years that's all i listened to was the beatles i completely understand yeah. <laughs> um, so i i did that and that was definitely based off of them so much to whenever i plugged it in with my headphones and i started doing it i thought it was so cool i started singing beatles songs through it making the engineer giggle but also i noticed that a bunch of other bands used it and i didn't realize that they had that technology there because you know it's a, it's an old school effect to do you you can probably mimic it some other way but just with anything analog always sounds slightly different 
Okay, I want to thank Blake for being on the show. Once again, you can find his music at blakehornsby.bandcamp.com. Also, links to uh, his music at other places in the show notes. Also, Blake has some shows coming up, so make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram so you know when those will be. And don't forget to follow the podcast, WNC Original Music. Look for that on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, you'll see updates about upcoming episodes, uh, clips from episodes, a bunch of extras. And also subscribe to the podcast, WNC Original Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Special treat for the closing song this week. You might have heard Blake talking about Unica Prong on the main part of the episode. A couple of the uh, members worked with him, and he's friends with him, and they have... uh, been nice enough to send us a song to play for the closing song. Unica Prong started in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, they now reside in or based in Durham, North Carolina. They've got four albums out, including their most recent one, Kudzu. They play a blend of instrumental, jazz, fusion, and alternative rock. You can find them at unicaprong.com, and of course, we'll have links to that and other sites in the show notes. Here's Unica Prong. Have a good week.
I thought it was amusing. It was hilarious. I think that they...